We'll get started here. Let's uh, begin with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds this evening, that we would learn more of you and of your word, and that we would be edified and sanctified through that word. We pray this through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right, so um, last week we left off talking about the Christian sermon and I began by giving a bit of an um, inside look, if you will, at uh, my sermon writing process and, or sermon preparation and preaching process uh, that I go through basically every week. And I hope that was kind of helpful to you uh, to, to know what, what should go into a sermon and what uh, goes into, into the sermons that I preach. And then we were going to uh, transition from that into uh, tips to get more out of the Sunday sermon from the hearer's perspective. And uh, so, so we'll, we'll go over that to start with. Then the reason we were doing that after Law and Gospel is because I didn't really want to start baptism right away, which is what's next in the Lutheranism 101 book, because um, I think it would be better to start that as its own. All right, so um, as I was saying, the I think I want to start baptism, which is the next section in the Lutheranism 101 book, because it's going to be baptism is going to be multiple weeks, and I wanted to kind of do that. Uh, one housekeeping note with that too is that um, next two weeks, uh, we're not going to do Lutheranism 101. Um, that would be. What is it? The 12th and the 19th, I believe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I'm going to be at the Board of National Mission meeting in St. Louis next week. And then the week after that, um, I'll be coming back from the district conference. I'll be back in town, but the um, speaker from the conference is staying with me and my family uh, that night. So If they're um, giving out free money, I'm telling them. Okay. Our church, our church is up, you know. We'll take anything. <laughs> well, we already get uh, good district funds. So. I know, but still, you know. <laughs> One little um, big. So anyway, I'm, I'm still not going to start baptism because I don't want to do that and then be gone. We'll be gone two weeks. Two weeks. Oh, remember what so, yeah. uh, so tonight we're going to talk about finish up the sermon and then we're going to uh, I have another handout I put together for uh, reading the Bible. So kind of some strategies, thoughts, tips on uh, when you read your Bible devotionally because that's kind of what we've been talking about is what is the Bible, what is God's word. So a little more practical, just some more practical things for you. All right, so um, we'll jump right in then to the tips to get more out of the Sunday sermon. And the first one is pray pray for the Lord to open your mind and heart. So this is also going to go with uh, reading your Bible, is that really before you do anything as a Christian, it's always a good idea to pray. Uh, and there are good prayers for this. One of my favorite for both listening to a sermon and for Bible reading is this uh, one by 
Thomas Cranmer that you've heard me pray many times before. Blessed Lord, you have caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant that we may so hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by the patience and comfort of your holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. Uh, It's a great prayer to pray um, that you would read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the, the word, whether it's the word read or the word preached. So uh, praying, and there's other prayers too in the Lutheran service book, in the hymnal. I really, one reason I think it'd be great to get pews eventually is so that we could have hymns and hymnals in the pews, because there's good resources. Uh, there's so many good resources in the hymnal. Um, one of them is just in the very opening front cover. Uh, we got some of these hymnals from this church in Berryville, Arkansas, by the way. Mm. Um, <laughs> so thank you to them. But uh, there's these prayers before worship or for worship right on the inside cover. So if you have your hymnal in your pew, which you know we don't have here, but you can make a copy of this or whatever. There's one for entering a church, a prayer for worship, before worship, a prayer for after worship, a prayer for before confession, a prayer for before communing, a prayer for after communing. And a prayer for blessing on the word. So that would be like after the service sometime, after the word has been preached. Um, I like to pray that prayer or a prayer like it on Sunday evenings when we do our Sunday evening devotions with the family. I pray that the word that was preached would go out and accomplish that which it was sent for. Right. So there's a lot of prayer that you can surround the sermon with. Um, I appreciate your prayers as the preacher uh, as well. I think uh, praying that um, it's not inappropriate to pray that your pastor would preach an edifying sermon and that you would uh, learn from it um, and that the spirit would be with the pastor when he preaches. I think that's always a good thing. That's what I pray for. So, uh, yeah, surrounding the sermon with prayer is is a very good thing. Number two is uh, read the readings on Saturday evening. So a practical way to do this is that I always put a link in the weekly email. So you can just click on that and then you can read it on your phone or whatever. Um, and really that's just to get the readings into your mind. I'm normally going to preach on one specific reading. but and, and I'll try to do better with this. I, I know I don't always do it, but... Um, to put the reading that I'm going to preach on in the email too so you know which reading to kind of focus on. But if you have a general understanding of that reading, then that's going to be very helpful for you listening to the sermon because I think one thing that happens, and this is what I always did when I was not preaching, um, was I would just hear the reading on Sunday morning. Uh, You hear the pastor read it. And then he's preaching on it a couple minutes later. But when you're going, when you're during the service, whenever the readings are being read, it's not always the easiest thing to get the whole thing, right? Normally, to get to re, um, to really comprehend something, you have to read it multiple times, or you have to hear it multiple times. Uh, so there's going to be things. So say I read a reading that so the The Ephesians 4 reading, which is this coming Sunday, which I'm preaching on, is only six verses. Even when I read those six verses, there's probably going to be something you miss out on when I read it on Sunday morning. 
right? And that less, probably less than a minute it takes to read that passage, you're probably not going to get every single word. And then especially when you think about um, you know, how easily distracted we are, are all, if you take all three readings, you get um, the, the Old Testament, the, the epistle, and the gospel, and then you can also include the psalm in there, um, trying to get everything just on Sunday morning is going to be really difficult, right? To, to pick up even just some basic comp, uh, comprehension, right, of what's going on in each of those readings is kind of difficult. And um, I realized when I started writing sermons that I'm talking about a lot of really specific things within the text of the reading, right? So um, with uh, Ephesians 4 that I'm, I'm doing this Sunday, uh, I'm thinking of things in my head about like the, the surrounding context of that reading and the um, diff- he, he talks about like three or four different things in there. Uh, he starts off talking about walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, of the calling to which you've been called. Um, so there's that's like two or three things within that one little verse of that need to be broken down. And then there's all this stuff about one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Um, there's a lot there. And so to to just like hear it once, and then you can also follow along in the bulletin during the sermon. But just to hear it once and then try kind of try to follow the sermon is actually kind of difficult. It's a lot better if you already have just a general comprehension of the readings in your head by reading them Saturday night where you can take your time. So that's kind of why I say that. Um, also, if you want to schedule for the whole year, let me know. I can easily get um, that for you. So that's it. Just uh, You can just go to lcms.org and click on church year and click on the one-year lectionary, or I can send it to you. But uh, that the reading it's it's good to use a lectionary for this reason is that I can send you the readings for the whole year because <laughs> um, I already know what they know what they are. So uh, that's the first two tips. Third tip is to take notes, take notes, and there are different ways to take notes. You might already have your own way of taking notes. I know Judy and Julie have their own ways of taking notes. Right there, I was taking notes, which is good. Uh, it's great. Um, you don't have to take sermon notes, but I think a lot of people find it helpful, and I think it's been pretty well proven over and over again that if you take notes on at any kind of lecture or sermon or anything, you're going to retain the information better. You just will. And then, it, and then the retention uh, goes even further up if you go back and review your notes later. right? So the note-taking system I used during seminary uh, was, is what's called the Cornell note-taking system. And you don't have to do this. This is just kind of practical life advice if you don't have a system for taking notes. But uh, basically, if this is your piece of paper, you divide it into these thirds. And this is your main note-taking space here where you just take the notes. Um, you try and kind of organize what's being said bullet points, whatnot. Um, that's the main thing you're going to be doing. And then 
On this side, you want to ask questions. So anything that you think needs clarification, um, kind of as you're going, uh, what, or kind of big thoughts that come to mind. This is kind of your thought bubbles over here, right? So this is just the 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 notes from the lecture. This is kind of like something I, I want to look this word up. I want to look this person up. I want to what what does this word mean? What does it what does he mean by this? Right? These are that's where you put that side. And then at the bottom, after you're done, after the sermon's done, um, either right after or sometime later, you want to uh, summarize. This is the summary that and in just a couple sentences you kind of summarize the main point of what you learned and um, the kind of big takeaway point and so then you can go back later and read this and you can go back later and you can look up what you need to look up and um, I always found that to be kind of the dividing it into those sections for note-taking is helpful that way like you know where the things you want to look up are. You you get the big information, the the bulk of the information here, and then the big idea there. Just having that those divisions is I find pretty helpful for note taking. So um, that's called the core note. And you can people dive really deep into this stuff on the internet. So you can just Google Cornell note taking system and you'll find tons of stuff. I'm sure you can buy notebooks with it and stuff. But I just draw lines. Um, all right, so. Uh, that's the third. The third one is take notes. Um, you will retain the information better. I know that. So m- my entire home congregation. I probably shouldn't say this since it's being recorded, but I will anyway. My entire home congregation got really uh, annoyed at sermon notes because they had a pastor at one point in time who is no longer the pastor there. Uh, they have a great pastor now, a good friend of mine, but. Um, the at my home church they had a pastor a long time ago who forced people to take sermon notes he printed them out printed out fill in the blank sermon notes in the bulletins so yeah so confirmation kids is one thing um i think making your whole congregation do it and turn them and turn them in turn them in i can't turn them in yeah yeah you know it's an idea Anonymous. <laughs> not, not a good one. Not, no, that's not a good one. You know. So, anyway, I'm sure that that guy will never watch this, so I'm, I'm pretty confident. Um, it's okay. So we're not doing that. But, all right. Uh, fourth is listen to the sermon again. So, um, again, like, obviously optional. You don't have to do this. But um, I know there are people who do this in the congregation uh, because they've told me, and they, they say that they get a lot more out of it. So, um, And I can see that because since, as a person who pre- preaches basically every Sunday, um, there, are, there are two things that I do in this regard that I know that they're very helpful. One is I do listen to my own sermons again because for, for two reasons. One, to see how I can improve. And two, because in, in some sense, it's easier for me to preach to myself when I'm listening it, to it back. And uh, this is just kind of the, the blessing and curse of being a pastor is you're your own preacher. 
Um, you do have to kind of preach to yourself for your weekly preaching, um, and and that's and it, and it's fine. Um, the other thing I do is I will listen to other preachers whom I respect and think they are very good preachers. I will listen to their sermons if they're recorded and available. So um, I, I have a couple different podcast feeds that I will periodically listen to to guys' sermons. So. Um, yeah, yeah, good. So I, I think that's all good. Um, having the electronic availability of that nowadays is a blessing. I mean, obviously that didn't exist in the past. Um, and pastors would, I know a lot of pastors will print off their manuscripts and then share them with people and give them to people if people ask. Or so, like my fieldwork supervisor in seminary, he preached from a manuscript and he. Um, would already have it available in like a file folder, like multiple copies in the narthex every Sunday uh, for people to take and like to either follow along with or to take home. But since I preach from an outline, that's not really doable for me most of the time. But uh, I will, if someone asks for a manuscript, if I've had a, if I've had a manuscript, I'll try and clean it up and give it to them. Um, or I can, I'll give them an outline or whatever, but but having the availability just to listen again is great. So, all right, uh, five, say amen or don't. <laughs> so, amen or amen as we say down here. The Midwest ruined me on that. I grew up saying amen, and then I lived in the Midwest for seven years and was at churches and schools that it was amen, 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 and then I'm like, now I say amen. But I wish we said amen because that's – yeah, that's the southern way, um, which means it's the better way. So, uh, I mean I did grow up in Arkansas. So uh, say, so say amen or don't. Um, amen means yes, yes, let it be so. So if you hear the sermon and you believe it's a true exposition of scripture, then you should say Amen. Um, and then seek your life to, to seek to live your life according to what you've learned. If you believe the sermon was not a correct exposition of scripture, or if you think that there was something wrong with it, or or if you just think I didn't hit it out of the ballpark that week or whatever, then then uh, don't say amen, right? I I always encourage people the word amen should be a powerful word. It should retain its its power. It shouldn't just be something we just kind of you know say. Um, amen is. Amen is a great word because it's a Hebrew word, and we don't have many Hebrew words that we've kept from the Hebrew all the way until now, but amen is one of these words, uh, same with hallelujah, that has been transliterated, which means you just write the same word in the letters of the new alphabet whenever you translate it instead of making a new word. Amen has been tra- transliterated from Hebrew into it's the same word in Greek. Whenever Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, in the Greek, it's amen, amen, I say to you. Um, and into Latin and in and into English now that uh, it's the same Hebrew word. Amen, 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 amen. That those sounds have been transliterated into all these languages. So, yeah, Steve. Julie and I went to a Greek wedding and a Greek funeral and maybe a regular Greek service. 
And that was the only word I understood. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's a, it's a good word. So it should keep its power, which means you should only use it when you mean it. Um, so when we, when we pray for something we mean, we say amen. Uh, when we uh, agree with something in the service, we say amen. So, um, so yeah, if you believe the sermon was not a correct exposition, don't say amen. Ask your pastor for further clarification and help keep him accountable for false doctrine. So that, and that's true. That goes without just the amen. Not, I'm not talking about just the word amen. Like that I, it is important that pastors have been known to go off the rails at times in history. And it is important for you to listen to the sermons. And if you hear things that are you don't believe are correct, um, according to the, to the Bible, then, then approach him and, and ask him about it. I, I encourage that. Yeah. Oh, so on Sunday, if we don't say amen, are you going to get upset with yeah. <laughs> uh, do, do people normally say amen after the sermon? I think I do. I, th- I, I think, think people I do. Really do. Yeah. It's not always the most Well, we don't gusto, say it too much somebody else might not say it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, I lo- when I was on Vicarage, there was a guy at the uh, church plant who would do vocal amens during the sermon. Yeah, that, that's great. I mean, yeah. like, because I feed off the energy, you know, so it's... Uh, so you and mine, that person that you and mine, we had a guy like years that. ago. That, it was kind of distracting, though. <laughs> yeah, it was, because he sat up front. He had some kind of disability. Oh, yeah. And I think he was in a wheelchair or something, but he said too much, really. Yeah, yeah. No, it can, it back, can be overdone. It yeah, can be overdone. It was, it was distracting. I'll get it moved. If I'm sitting by somebody... It's not in the normal German LCMS ancestry to, to do such things, but, you know, some people have done it. Um, yeah, so that's good. All right. Any questions on the Sunday sermon stuff? Any, any questions on, on preaching or sermons in general? All right. Pass these out then. So this is uh, the next tip sheet. I need to collect all my like. Uh, so, you, so you preach from an outline? Yeah, mostly. Once in a while, I'll write a manuscript. If I feel like I need to be very precise with my words, yeah, then you write I will write a manuscript. But yeah. if you can. Hell, I normally have a lot of eye contact, and it's because I'm not normally. Norman's grandfather, uh, he actually had a book published about his sermons. See, that's manuscripts do have some advantages. I, I find the eye contact that I get from using an outline more valuable than uh, the advantages of a manuscript. But manuscripts do have advantages in that you can. Published sermons, which is kind of what I was talking about earlier. You can also pass them to yeah, people going about, into the yeah. ministry. Well, in seminary, usually you have to write them out because you have to Yeah, in homiletics class, you have to write one. Um, my vicarage supervisor uh, was great in that. I probably shouldn't say this, but um, he didn't actually make me turn on him because he was like, you're going to say what you're going to say. You're probably not going to say anything wrong. 
So it'd be better just for you to learn how to do it. Now that you do it, so yeah. that was good. Um, but deal. Is that the um, outside lights? Is that yeah, what that is? Yeah. I might turn it off in a second. All right. So um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not gonna do that. We'll turn it back on when we leave so we can see. So we can see the car on the car. Um all right, so how to read the Bible. Uh this, so this kind of just goes along with what we've been talking about with the Bible, God's Word, law and gospel, all of this stuff. And um, this also goes along with what I'm putting in the messenger right now about uh, Bible translations and reading the Bible and everything. And I'm going to, again, advertise and, and put in about uh, Bible reading plans and stuff um, in the messenger as well. But uh, so first tip on how to read the Bible is read it devotionally. Um, so again, uh, just say a prayer at least before you begin uh, reading, I think is very helpful for the same reasons we talked about listening to the sermon, that it's going to put your heart in the right place, it's going to put your mind in the right place. Um, God does, and, and of course God hears our prayers, right? He answers our prayers. And so if we pray to him that he would uh, edify us, sanctify us by by reading his word, then he will answer that prayer. Um, I don't think there's any reason to think that he would not. Of course, that is a, a prayer in Jesus' name. So uh, at least say a prayer. Even better is if you, I think, read with some sort of devotional prayer right, R-I-T-E, right, uh, like the at-home prayer, which you get in the bulletin every week. Uh, one of the reasons I put it there is to... Um, if you kind of think of the reading as the, the central thing in that, um, you don't have to. You can think of prayer as the central thing of that. But uh, if you think of the reading as the central thing that you're doing in the at-home prayer, and then the everything else, the invocation, the creed, the, the prayers are surrounding that reading, then uh, that will be, I think, um, I think that's always helpful for you. Or I said like uh, Matins in the hymnal. So there's different... There's different prayer services in the hymnal. There's not just the Sunday morning service. Wow, turned right to it. Um, there's like matins, which is uh, begins with some versicles. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, to the Holy Spirit, so on, so on. Um, it's got some different uh, songs in here, which you don't. You can just speak. You don't have to sing. Um, and then there's a place for uh, readings. Um, in here, well, I missed it, but uh, there's a yeah, there's a place where you can have a reading from Holy Scripture, and then you could put your reading in there, and then you could finish matins with the prayers and all that. So um, that's I think that's really great. That's how I, if I'm going to sit down and, and read, um, that's what I tend to do. I'll either use at home prayer or matins is actually what I generally will use. Um, Matt, so the prayer services in the hymnal um, come from the traditional prayer offices of monks is actually where they come from. And they're 
were about, dang, well, it's not buzzing this time, so I don't, I don't know. Anyway, um, there were, let's see, how many were there? Seven uh, prayer offices in a day. I don't know if I can remember them all off the top of my head, um, but they're called like praying the hours, and monks would pray throughout the day. And um, in our hymnals, what we've traditionally done is include some of those. Not We're not monks, so we don't include all of them. But uh, the so at the if, if, is there a bulletin laying around here? Um, one of the um, anyway at the top of that home prayer I have a quote from I think it's Psalm 66. Uh, Evening, morning, and noon I cry out in distress and He answers me. And uh, th- this is one of the ideas that the that the Christian church has always held on to is that it's good to pray not just once a day, but even throughout the day. So anyway, the monks took this and they said, we're going to do it seven times or whatever. Um, so they came up with different services that they do at different times of day. And matins was the morning one. So when they did when they first woke up. So matins is a morning prayer is what that means. And then uh, like Compline, which we also have in hymnal page 253. This is what I do with my family. Most nights, except for Wednesday nights, because I'm here, um, <laughs> is uh, uh, the evening prayer. It's the the bedtime prayer, Compline. Um, and then there's also Vespers, which How is do you like spell that? Compline, C O M P L I N E, Compline. It's on page 253 in the okay. hymnal. And then um, Vespers, which is also in the hymnal, that's like the dinner time prayer. So you can do vest, you can do matins in the morning, you can do vespers at dinner time, and then you can do compline in the evening, for instance. Um, so yeah, those are those are where those come from. Those are all Latin words that mean they just they just mean different hours of the day. So I don't remember what all the specific hours they match up with are, but that's where the names came from. But like uh, uh, there's also like sex and terse, like terse is like three. I believe so. That was like at 3 p.m. or whatever. So um, that's where those names come from. But yep. All right. Uh, yeah. So where where am I at here? I'm looking at the wrong sheet. All right. Um, yeah. So read it devotionally. Um, then have a plan. So two two things I'm talking about here. One is have a plan to read. Uh, for when you're going to read. So make sure that it's blocked out on your calendar, right? Schedule the time. So it's it's important. I try um, to to read in the mornings because my mind is more alert, right? So uh, schedule a time where you're going to sit and read your Bible and um, make sure that's kind of blocked off. Turn off your phone, put other distractions away, and uh, just have have a time to read. Because when when the uh, basically when any theologian that I've ever read on this topic talks about this, they talk about the need for focus, and I think in our world today we're really bad at that. <laughs> we're really bad at sitting and doing something for like 20 minutes, right? Um, unless it's something that's like constantly like moving, like TV, but. Um, to actually just sit and read with nothing else going on is is a thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's you know, I've been listening to the Bible 
an audio Bible, but you don't you can't write in the margins. Right. You know? So it's much better. And you can't like <laughs> pause. I mean, you can, but it's harder to just like pause and like right. reread something three times or something. You know, like because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. sometimes you do got it. You got to. Okay, what, what's he talking about here? And read it through. Or, or reading so. a, a book that you're really interested in. Yeah, and so I'm a... Yeah, I'm a big fan of listening to the Bible, but I think it should be supplemental to Bible reading. Um, because there, the, the word was meant to be written. It was also meant to be spoken and preached. But I, I think just my intuition is that people don't get as much out of it when they just listen. I, I think listening is great. I mean, I love listening to the Bible. Sometimes if I don't want to listen to a podcast or music then, and I'm at the gym or something, I'll just listen to the Bible. Why not? I mean, it's it's great. You're not gonna, it's not going to hurt you. It's going gonna, it's gonna to help you. But, but I think it should be kind of an addition or supplemental to, to actually reading as well. At least for me and for most people I talk to, that's their experience. You Maybe know, well, you have you know where you can scroll along yeah. with it because it goes over the names of these people like yeah. they're right who knows if they're right mm-hmm. but at least you have a pronunciation of their name yeah <laughs> yeah right yeah I I uh, firmly believe most pronunciation is is kind of made up so um all right so that's good so then second uh have a plan a reading plan of what you're gonna read. And I would just recommend two things. One is the schedule in at-home prayer. Um, if you haven't been able to tell, I really think everyone should use at-home prayer. <laughs> uh, but um, the schedule in at-home prayer, which has daily readings listed for it, that's the same schedule as that's published in a book by CPH, which I'm sure I've talked about before, called Treasury of Daily Prayer, which is a great book. Um, and it it gives for each day of the calendar year it gives and it's printed every, everything's printed out an old testament reading a psalm a new testament reading a prayer of the day a hymn stanza a recommended reading from the book of concord and a devotional writing so and then it's also got other resources in that book like matins and compline um printed in the middle of the book so it's a great great resource treasury of daily prayer you can order it from CPH or on Amazon. Um, great book to have. And if you do the at-home prayer readings, it's worth having because then it's all laid out in that way. Um, yeah, so that's good. The other reading plan I like if you want to do a reading plan on steroids is um, – well, there's actually two. I didn't – okay, so basically you've got like – three levels of intensity for your reading plans. We have the Treasury of Daily Prayers level one um, because that doesn't go through the whole Bible in a year. It goes through about a third of the Old Testament and all of the New Testament, um, which is good. And, and the, it, the portions of the Old Testament chooses really give you an understanding of the Old Testament, even though it's not the whole thing. Level two intensity, which I forgot to put on the sheet, is the one-year Bible. And you can order whatever your preferred translation is. Look up One Year Bible, whatever translation. And um, it gives you an Old Testament reading, a New Testament reading, and I think it, a psalm and a proverb, a piece of a psalm and a proverb for every day. And it gets you through the whole Bible in a year 
plus you go through the Psalms and Proverbs multiple times. Number three is level of intensity. So this is the you're, you're bulking, you're on the steroids level here, um, is Professor Horner's, which I, I know I mentioned a couple weeks ago, Bible reading system, which you can look up. I'm just going to put Bible reading system uh, there. You can look that up on the internet, and that is 10 chapters a day. So you go through the whole Bible like about two and a, you get through the, the whole Bible about two and a half times in one year, which is good. So that's why I started doing recently, and I really like it. But um, depending on how much time you want to dedicate to your Bible reading, you can pick one of those plans. You can look up other plans too. I mean, this is not a matter of doctrine or anything. These are just ones that I've done before. Um, I have I have another one year Bible like Bible in a year reading plan that I've done before as well that. Um, is according to the uh, church year. So like Advent has a certain set of books that you do during Advent. <coughs> Lent has a certain set of books you do during Lent, that kind of thing. Um, so I can give you that as well if you want that. So just if you need any help with any of this, just let me know. I mean, I'm, I love helping people read the Bible more. That's part of my job. So, um, But have a plan, right? Have, a, have it on your calendar and have a plan of what you're going to read. Um, it's, it's a lot easier than, I mean, I've known people and I used to be this guy when I was like in, um, when I first started kind of reading the Bible on my own, maybe in like, like elementary or middle school, I, no one told me what to read, but I knew I was kind of supposed to read the Bible cause I was a Christian. And so I like, and I had it like a, like a student Bible or whatever that they gave me. And I would just like. See where it happened, you know. See what happened to fall open, and uh, that's fine, I guess. But you're not going to get a understanding of a full understanding of things, right? Um, so having a plan is is very helpful in that way. That it's going to structure. You're going to know what to do, right? Um, it's like if uh, you go to the. I'm probably beating this dead horse, but um, I started lifting weights recently and uh on monday wednesday and friday and i got a weightlifting program and i've never had such a consistent like time at the gym since i i did this because i would i used to just go to the gym and be like i'll go lift that way i'll go over here and do some push-ups like i didn't know you know i had no structure and then i downloaded this program that's like you do this this day this this day this this day you increase the weights five pounds every lift. It, like, I don't have to think about it. It's so nice, right? So same thing with when you're strengthening your faith is then you have a, you just go in and you know what you're doing. It's easy. Um, and then you can check it off and you feel better about it. You, you know you actually accomplished it, right? So, um, all right. Know what you're reading. So it's good to have a general idea of what book of the Bible you're reading um, and what, what the general idea of what book of the, your, the Bible, your book of the Bible you're reading is. Uh, who's the author? What's the genre? What's the historical context? What are some of the main themes? Um, so there's a couple different things you can do to get this if you need it. One, um, 
If it's something that we've already talked about in the Old Testament on Sunday mornings, you can go and listen to that Bible study. Um, or you can uh, look in the Lutheran Study Bible if you have one. Do we have one over here? There's a lot of show and tell today. Um, there used to be some around. Yeah, I know there was. There was one. I think I've given people Bibles and I've given some of those away. Uh, anyway, if you have a Lutheran Study Bible by CPH, each book of the Bible has an introduction that it's my favorite feature about that Bible. I, I, I don't love the ESV per se, but I love that the, the Bible um, and I don't even like the footnotes. Uh, I, I shouldn't say that. I like most of the footnotes. There's some of the footnotes I, I think aren't that good, but the introductions are great to the books of the Bible. They um, have a section from Luther uh um, on on that book, so Luther wrote introductions to every book of the Bible at one point in his life. They have a section of that in there. They have like main themes on the side. They have like challenges for the readers, blessing for the reader. It's it's a really good introduction to the book. The other thing you can do, so the Lutheran Study Bible by CPH, um, it's called it, it's maroon and it says the Lutheran Study Bible. That's the Bible I'm talking about. Or um, there's a YouTube channel that I've watched many times before that's pretty good. They're not Lutheran, so you got to be careful because they say some stuff that can be a little wacky sometimes. Um, called The Bible Project. It's on YouTube. And they have introduction videos for every book of the Bible that are generally very helpful. Generally very helpful. So, again, you know, be careful with stuff you find on the internet. Um, I think the guy's like some kind of Baptist who's kind of the scholar behind it. Um, his stuff's really good. Like, And, and by like the, the stuff I'm saying, he's not Lutheran. Um, normally, they'll like, if a book has like a lot of sacramental theology, they'll just kind of like brush over that, you know, because they, they, don't, they don't value the sacraments like we do. Um, so that kind of stuff. But generally, it's still very helpful for like historical context, that kind of stuff. So you can look those up, and they're like really well done. They're like they have very nice graphics and um, very well thought out presentations. So the Bible Project, they're worth looking up on YouTube. Uh, okay, so then so know what you're reading. Then uh, just start out when you read. I, I think a lot of people when they read the Bible, they're like, okay, I'm a Christian. I'm going to read the Bible, and I need to like get some major life lesson out of this. Right? So the first thing they do is start to look for major life lessons. I think that that's the last thing you should do. <laughs> you should kind of go in order. right? So the first thing you should do is just kind of figure out what's going on. So who, what, when, where, why, how. What's going on in what you're reading. And that goes to the know what you're reading as well. And then let scripture interpret scripture. So uh, this is one of our big principles as Lutherans, scripture alone, that – the Bible is constructed uh, to be um, to fit together in its own way. And if you want to know what the Bible means, then let it interpret itself. So uh, do any other passages or verses come to mind when you're reading what you're reading, right? That you can compare, right? So um, say you're reading Mark 16 and baptism comes up. Well, what else is about baptism? Oh, Romans 6. 
Let me go see what Romans 6, how does that relate, right? Um, that kind of thing. If, you, if there are cross-references, I like cross-reference Bibles. Um, I like Bibles with cross-references. I just do. I mean, I think, I think they're great because the idea is that Scripture interprets Scripture. The only problem with them is that you're dependent on whoever put those cross-references together to make all the connections. And obviously, they're not going to make all the connections, but it is helpful that if you're like, I want to know more about this idea, what are the cross-references, then you can look at the cross-references. Um, how does how does this passage relate to the surrounding context, right? So that's always good to kind of look at. And if you're reading in some sort of order, then you, you're already going to kind of know the surrounding context. If New Testament, um, are there Old Testament passages that relate to this? Because a lot of times you'll see connections between the Testaments and vice versa. Um, how does this relate to the person and work of Christ? So um, always looking at the, the Bible as a whole and letting it interpret itself. And then finally, you can look for applications, right? After you've kind of done all that legwork of the who, what, when, where, why, how, what are the passages that help interpret this, then, you're gonna, then you can start to think about, okay, what are the applications? And for applications there, um, I revisited um, something that I talked about when I was talking about how I look for applications for preaching because really it's the same thing, right? If you're reading the Bible and you want to know how to apply it to yourself, same question as if I'm preaching the Bible and I want to apply it to you. Same question. So there's a fivefold use of applications. This comes from 2 Timothy 3 and from Romans uh, 14, I believe. Um, we have teaching. Reproof or rebuke, however you want to say it. Uh, training in righteousness, correction. This is the verse in Second Timothy three. All Scripture is useful and breathed out by God, or breathed out by God and useful for teaching, reproof, training in righteousness, and correction, um, that the man of God may be made complete. And then uh, Romans, wait, is it fifteen four? Yeah, I think it's 15.4, actually. Um, that what has been passed down to us has been given for, um, in the scriptures has been given for our comfort, Paul says. So comfort is the last, the last thing, or consolation. All right, so when you're looking at a text and you want to know how do I apply it to myself, I think th this, again, is where a lot of Christians out there will just go, well, I feel like it means this to my life, Right? Which is honestly not I, – I mean I don't want to be too stingy of a too, – uh, too strict of a person or too much of an academic theologian to say that you can never feel something about the scriptures. I mean you can, but what I think is a little bit better is to take these things that scripture says is useful from the scriptures. right? The scriptures are useful for these things, Paul says. These script, the scriptures are given for these things. That's what that's what the New Testament teaches. So let's look at these things and see what the scriptures can give in terms of these. So teachings, uh, what doctrines are native to this text? Um, so that is an important point that just because 
you you might think of something kind of tangentially to the text, um, that doesn't mean that that's the main thing being taught or one of the main things being taught, right? So uh, I think of an example here that or, – or, or that just because you think of a doctrine doesn't mean that every text is going to teach something about that doctrine, right? So um, just because there's some instance of water in the Old Testament doesn't mean that it's te- trying to teach something exactly about baptism. It might be baptismal in one sense. But it might not be trying to teach, you know, everything there is about baptism, right? So, uh, when the axe, when the axe head floats in the water, um, that that might not be exactly about baptism, right? That could be about God's power. So, what what doctrine is native to the text? Does that make sense? What what is actually so? Mark sixteen sixteen, all who believe and are baptized will be saved. That's teaching baptism, right? Um, so there, there are things that are maybe tangentially related or not really related that you might think of, but you want to think about what is what teaching, what doctrine is is native to the text. Um, is the text prescriptive or descriptive, right? So that means that is the text just describing something that happened historically, or is the text saying this is how you should live, right? Which there's a big difference there. So Saul commit suicide does that mean that the bible teaches we should commit suicide no right that's descriptive uh that's a descriptive passage it's describing something that happened uh the bible says walk in a walk in a manner worthy to the calling to which you've been called does that mean we should walk according to god's law yes because it's prescribing something for the church right so um if something is descriptive, that it might not – you can't turn everything into a doctrine that happens in the Bible, right? So um, is the text prescriptive or descriptive? Is it uh, – is the teaching that you're thinking of whenever you're looking at these texts, is it a logical argument based on the text? So um, I think it is true to say that the Bible is generally logical or that the that Christianity is a, is a logical faith in the sense that it's not – there are paradoxes, of course, but it's not nonsensical. And so um, you can uh, – so sometimes people will argue things from the scripture but will argue them illogically, right? So uh, for instance – I don't know. Baptism is just on my mind because that's what we're doing next. But um, to say that uh, – because Jesus was immersed in the Jordan River, that that teaches that everyone must be immersed. That's not uh, that's not that doesn't logically follow, right? Because the Bible never says that immersion is required of baptism. It just describes people being immersed, but that doesn't have to that doesn't by necessity logically mean that uh, immersion is necessary. Right, so it has to – the doctrine that you're looking at should be logical from the text. Um, and then uh, how does this doctrine help me? So when you're thinking about applications, 
remember that when I'm talking about doctrine, what we believe based on the Bible, that it doesn't have to be this kind of distant thing. So um, in Ephesians 4, because I'm preaching on that this Sunday, one of the doctrines is the Catholicity of the church or the universality of the church, that there's one, one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. That's a comforting doctrine, that I belong to something that's worldwide throughout the course of history. That's a comforting doctrine. So how does this doctrine help me um, when I'm feeling lonely to know that I belong to something that's been passed down through the ages that has belonged to um, millions of other people? That's a comfort. I don't feel lonely anymore. Okay, So that's a, that's a doctrine. That doesn't mean that it doesn't apply to me in that sense. All right. Uh, reproof. So reproof has to do with correcting errors. Um, so, so there's a difference between reproof and correction. Correction is uh, the words in Greek that are used here. You're just going to have to take my word on this. But um, what they mean is reproof or rebuke has to do with correcting errors. So when you're reading a, the Bible and um, you're thinking about reproof or rebuke, um, that two, two things to ask. One, are there any like commonly held errors that you know about that this might teach against? Um, or so so yeah, are, are there any commonly held errors that this might teach against? So really basic one would be like the words of institution. Jesus says, "This is my body. This is my blood." That teaches us. That rebukes those who say that it's a symbol. Okay. Um, or is there something that I need to be rebuked of? Right? Do I read something in the Bible and and I say, "Wow, I." I had that wrong, right? Um, I thought that it was another way, right? So uh, that that's probably even more helpful than just thinking about rebuking other people is thinking about rebuking yourself with the text. Uh, correction. Um, what moral law is this text teaching? So correction, again, has to do with um, correcting the, the way of life or morality. And... Uh, being on the right path, right? So, um, what moral law is this? Is this teaching? Um, so, Ephesians four: Walk in a manner worthy to the calling of the calling to which you've been called. And he's referencing then the end of Ephesians three, which I preached on last week, which is really about the life of the gospel. And so, am I walking in a manner worthy of the gospel? Am I walking in forgiveness and humility? Um, if I'm not, then that is a text then to help correct me, to help me walk um, in that manner. What what um, what biblical or sorry that that's the next one. Um, am I living contrary to God's word according to this text? And then training in righteousness is the opposite of that. So sorry, I jumped down because that's the order I had them in on the sheet. Um, but then these two are kind of flip side of each other. Training in righteousness and correction. Because training in righteousness is then going to be the positive side of that. What biblical virtues are being displayed here? What good works are being displayed here? Whether that's in a story or whether that's um, just like a direct teaching of Jesus or Paul or something. Um, or even like the Ten Commandments. You know, what, what positive things should I be looking here to, to pursue in righteousness? Um, what biblical virtues can I imitate? Right, imitation I think is is big here, 
And then finally, comfort. Um, what I think this is the most important word for comfort. What promises does God give here? What is God promising me? Right? Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God is promising me that he will always be available to me through his word, uh, through the teaching and baptism. See, that's why I like John 14, that whole chapter. Yeah, John 14 is, is, is great that his spirit is going to be here with us um, and that his spirit is going to continue in us. So uh, that's part of John 14 is part of his farewell discourse to the disciples. Great, great section of scripture. So much comfort there. So where, where are the promises in this text, right? Um, and you know, even that. So back to the back to law and gospel really quickly. If you remember when we talked about law and gospel, law and gospel is not a great way to read the Bible because there you can take basically any verse as law or gospel. Second, um, if you think about things in terms of, of all of these, it gives you a much broader way to apply scripture. And I was just thinking of like the Ten Commandments, you know, most people would say, that's well that's law. Well in the Ten Commandments, in the conclusion of Ten Commandments, he says, um, but I will have mercy on a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. There's a promise there that God's mercy uh, continues uh, throughout history and that it will continue in the faithful remnant of, of people who, who worship him and seek to live according to his ways. So um, there's there's promises all over scripture. Uh, what is God promising me for giving me for my comfort? Um, you can also think about how is he forgiving my sins here? Uh, what joy is given me in this text? Because um, comfort is broader than just forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins is definitely part of that, but even things like um, sometimes there's things that are very kind of maybe you could even say violent in nature that that are comforting, like that God will put every evil uh, government and every evil king under his footstool on the last day, and he will strike down the wicked, and that means that I will be vindicated. For those who have been unjust to me, when I have lived justly, that's comforting. Um, like the, the doctrine of vindication. Um, that Job, like if you read the book of Job, that Job is vindicated whenever God uh, disciplines his three friends that told him lies. That that's actually comforting. That God would do that for his people. One of the scriptures, Jesus wept. To me, that's comfort. It makes him human. I mean, yeah. he's not human, but right. The doctrine of the and so and you can see how these things go together too. That okay, Jesus wept. What does that teach us? That teaches us the incarnation, and that in that doctrine of the incarnation and that passage is comforting because it means that Jesus took on my flesh, right? And because he took it on and. Because he died with my flesh and rose again with my flesh, he redeemed me. Right? So I am you can you can see uh, the redemption there through that. So that's great. Yeah, I um so this is this is a good way to look for applications, this list of five things, um, because it's gonna help you uh Apply scripture correctly, right? And not, again, 
like there's nothing per se wrong with this idea, but um, I just had a I had a friend who's a member at a non-denominational church who goes to a small group that they have, and he said he hates going because um, he sits around in a circle with these people and they just read something of scripture and then they go around a circle and say, well, I feel like it's speaking to me like this. I feel like it's speaking to me like this. And it just gets so annoying because it's all self-centered and uh, kind of like completely random. <laughs> So when can we see him here? Yeah, I'm I'm working on it, you know. It's it's part of the plan, part of the master plan. But um, yeah, like I think if you take what the Bible says is useful for Scripture, teaching, reproof, training, correction, and comfort, and then read the Bible that way, it's very good. So I realized that ten ten minutes over, so um, I apologize for that. But hopefully this was helpful for you, uh, how to read the Bible and how to listen to a sermon. We're doing a lot of practical tips here. And then in three weeks, we will start baptism. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have uh, given us your word both to be preached and to be read. We pray that you would bless our hearing of the preached word and our reading of the written word, that we would be edified, sanctified, that we would be comforted, that we would be taught, rebuked, trained, and corrected. Uh, that you would work all these things in us through your Holy Spirit. And we pray that you would continue uh, to be with us as we go throughout our days and weeks and the rest of our lives, that you would send your Holy Spirit to continue to comfort us and teach us. We pray all this through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.